We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Meckis and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire. All right, welcome back to a special episode of Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Bandujo. Earlier this year, we talked to Dan Napoli and Bill Hipsher, the director and producer of the documentary 50 Summers. It covers 50 years of baseball in Omaha through the lens of the Omaha Minor League franchise, one of my favorite watches of this year. Uh, one of the stars of this documentary was Rob Crane. Rob is now a senior VP of sales and marketing for the Pawtucket Red Sox and co-host of the Front Office Features podcast. So joining me today to discuss his role in the documentary 50 Summers and Life in Minor League Baseball is Rob Crane. Rob, thanks so much for taking the time. Kyle, it's a pleasure. And I, you describe me as a star in a movie. That is untrue. I was just some random guy that was interviewed a couple times. Oh, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm about to gas you up in a few <laughs> Oh, minutes. Lord, don't, help don't us you all. Forget, don't, you, uh, don't you worry. Uh, before we talk 50 Summers, though, uh, tell the folks about your podcast, where they can find it, and what you guys are doing. Well, thanks. Yeah, we, uh, myself and uh, my partner, uh, Chris Valente, who's the director of sales for Fenway Sports Management, basically sells all Red Sox stuff. Um, we host a podcast called Front Office Features. You can get it wherever you get podcasts. And uh, the goal of our podcast is to help uh, up-and-coming sports business executives start and grow their career. So we interview all kinds of different uh, sports business execs and uh, tell about their stories and try to uh, garner some advice that they have and how to get to them. So like we had Sam Kennedy, the president uh, and CEO of the Boston Red Sox on. How did they do it? We've had people from the NHL, the NBA, uh, you know, uh, Major League Soccer, uh, you know, on and on the NFL. And um, we've had different people on telling their stories. And so we do that. We do an interview once a week. And then Chris and I 
uh, we do an, you know, 45 minute BS session, uh, each week as well, talking about, uh, sports business news, uh, while also trying to help, uh, you know, the people who are in college or just out of college, uh, start their uh, career. So helping with networking tips and what you should do when you're just starting off and those types of things. And, uh, we've been doing it since like September and, uh, so far so good. It's been growing like wildfire. It's been fun. God, where the hell were you guys when I was in college? <laughs> That's what we were saying. That's exactly that was the exact reason why we started the damn thing. Is was like we're like we we're asked all the time through like people LinkedIn and stuff is like, hey, you know, just trying to get some advice on how to get my sports business career off the off the ground. And you know, I was thinking, I was like, well, we could do this podcast thing. I could do this podcast thing. And then I asked Chris to join, and then here we are. Well, when I was in college, uh, you know, interning in the minors and considering a career in minor league baseball, you were the assistant GM in Omaha. Uh, so I, I think that's a reason. Let's talk. Let's start talking 50 summers, right. uh, which I want to remind listeners, you can now stream for free if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber. It that's is pretty a cool. fantastic documentary. I, I love it. I spoke its praises earlier this year. If you want my full review, I think I've got an episode. I think it was April or March. I don't know. Time's gone really slow lately. But, yeah, I don't uh, remember when it came out, but it was really fun. <laughs> what? So, um, getting to it, what was the process of you finding out that there was going to be a documentary about baseball in Omaha and the Storm Chasers? Because by that time, you had moved on from Omaha. When this yeah, I was started. well gone. I, it was a few years ago. I was gone for a few years. Marty uh, Cordero, who's the president and general manager of the Storm Chasers, and my professional mentor. I love him like a father, right? He's literally a father figure in my life. And he called me. And was like, hey, uh, we're doing this documentary. Uh, it's our 50th year. And we're doing this documentary. And uh, the guys want to interview you. And I was like, documentary? Are you kidding me? All right. So I was like, fine. I'll do whatever you tell me to. You're the boss. Uh, whatever. And I'm thinking in my head, there's some high schooler doing a documentary about the Omaha Storm Chasers. So I like didn't even think about it. You thought it was going to go up on YouTube. Right. I, I YouTube thought it was somebody's Right. I thought it was somebody's, you know, uh, project uh, who was a sophomore in high school. I didn't ask any questions. I just showed up. And then uh, he's like they're going to be at the they're going to be at the winter meetings and we we're in Orlando. And I was like, "All right. I'll see you there. Maybe they flew down whatever." And I get there, it's like a whole production. And it was most it was uh, I was totally uh, shocked by you know how professional it was and then after learning like yeah it was a professional production and uh i shouldn't have been shocked but i was i had very low expectations going into it then learning about really what they were doing was amazing and uh it was fun to be a part of and when you're talking when they're interviewing you you have no idea if they're gonna use it or if you have any like what's like what it's gonna look like and um i talked to to bill um on the uh, on the on the podcast and uh, we had a and, and dan napoli we had a uh we had a great conversation and learning how many hours that they had of um of you know of film is was unbelievable to me and uh you know to i was lucky enough to be uh a part of it and uh it was you know you would think like a once in a lifetime type thing pretty cool well, they had uh, they had JJ Cooper for four hours. They said JJ yeah. Cooper is one of my from favorite Baseball America, in baseball. right? Yeah, from Baseball America. How long did they have Rob Crane? How long were you in the hot seat? <laughs> Not four hours, because I never been able to sit still that long. Um, they probably had me for an hour and a half, two hours, probably. I mean, we talked just like every. 
I, w- I only worked in Omaha for what six six years, uh, but it was I was there for a couple hours. Yeah, I think it was a couple hours. Well, you. And you I'll say this too: I was hungover as hell because I didn't realize how good it was, like how professional it was going to be. But I was like, oh man, like I gotta get, I gotta, I gotta go. I had a late night the night before, but I had a fun time. Well, that's the that's the story of the winter meetings, right? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I and I'm like the my uh, I love the winter meetings and I love hanging out and uh, having a good time and going to bed way too late. Well, you mentioned you were only in Omaha for six years, but one of my favorite parts of the documentary was when they discussed arguably the two most important things that have happened. And, you know, in, for that franchise this century, which is the rebranding of the Storm Chasers and the development of Warner Park, which is absolutely gorgeous, gets some amazing looks on the dock. It's absolutely on my bucket list now. Um, and, and you were a part of that for you were part of both of those things. When you finally got the chance to actually see the documentary and see the importance of those two projects laid out on screen. When you think back, you know, eight years later, what does it mean to you to have been a part of the team that spearheaded both of those? Uh, it's pretty surreal, and you just kind of thank Marty for allowing me to have to be in his co-pilot seat. I mean, we were really, co- you know, he was the pilot, and I, I always felt like I was his right-hand man. Or whether I was or wasn't, <laughs> it, that's the way he made me feel. Uh, and I just, I, I have always feelings of appreciation and. I never really thought it was like, you know, when you say it like that, yeah, it's a, it's a big thing. But the thing like I took from the documentary the most was there was like old pictures of Marty and I uh, at Rosenblatt Stadium. Marty has glasses. He's, you know, doesn't wear them any, it doesn't have glasses anymore. I think got the LASIK or whatever. And there's old pictures of Marty and I, and you can see me looking at him like, I'm just soaking everything in like a sponge. You could see it in my face. And I remember the first time I saw it, I cried. And I, because of the, the, how I just learned from him and I could, I I could just see it. And it was emotional to me because, uh, you know, you don't get mentors like that all the time. And yeah, I you know I can understand why you say that of the storm chasers and the and Warner Park, but I saw there's a handful of pictures of like him giving a speech to like ushers or something like that, and I'm right next to him, and uh, those are the things that I took away from me, and uh, you know it was kind of uh, emotional. Well, one thing or you know something I thought the the doc did a great job was expressing how much baseball has meant to the city of Omaha. There's you know, thousands of cities in in the country that have baseball or have minor league baseball or some sort of affiliated baseball. But Omaha, to me, is such a such a special baseball city because it, it already was because of the College World Series. Like I was fortunate enough to go to a, go see a College World Series in Rosenblatt. Um, to you know, the Royals being there for fifty years. To you know, the the Storm Chasers and the success of the new park. What about your experience? Being in that city for six years, can you share why Omaha was such a, I really think a perfect pick for this doc. I, it, it was just, it hit so many great, amazing notes. I just, what do you think is the reason for that? Um, I think because it's a unique minor league city. Uh, it's unique because it has great, 
it loves baseball, right? It loves baseball. It loves the College World Series, right? The College World Series comes in for three weeks, and it is like the thing. And they've had the uh, Omaha Royals slash Storm Chasers for, you know, 52, three years now. And they it, it's always been a very good city for that. And it's in the middle of America, right? So you kind of don't think about it as, you know, your New Yorks or your Bostons or your L.A.s or St. Louis's of the world. Um, it's just, uh, you know, kind of great baseball cities. But I, I think that it had the perfect combination of uniqueness as in like, all right, it's literally the exact middle of America, it feels like. Uh, and, you know, with n- not just having a minor league team, because there's 159 other teams, uh, cities that have a minor league team, but having the College World Series and the, you know, the longest standing affiliated minor league team uh, in minor league baseball, I think provided unique uh, perspective. It also had you know, very unique characters. You know, Jesse Cuevas, the longtime groundskeeper, I thought was you know great. he was one of my favorites. He was he, Jesse's Loved awesome. Um, funny story about Jesse. They when Marty and I came in, they hated us. Right, we were the new guys, and they hated us. They're just like new guys. We don't need no new guy. And then uh, we won them over somehow, uh, or they won us over. One of the two, and. Uh, then we became, you know, I very close with Jesse and very close with his brother and very close with uh, the whole thing. And it was, uh, you know, when we closed down that ballpark, we all kind of shared a shared a moment together, and it was kind of fun. It was kind of fun to see the total flip. But uh, the funny thing about Jesse Cuevas is, I for the for the first time this year, I read Ryan McGee's book from 2008, Road to Omaha, which is about that 2008 College World Series, which is the College World Series I rent to went to. And, um, so I finally picked up the book and read it. And Jesse Cuevas is also featured in that named in that he's in two of my, so Jesse Cuevas was in two pieces of pop culture that I really, really enjoyed this year, which is really, really random. <laughs> I never think that would be the case for, you know, some ra- uh, a groundskeeper in Omaha, Nebraska, but, uh, yeah, Jesse's a great guy. And, uh, you know, I, I, I miss seeing him and, uh, and, and the whole thing, but, uh, yeah, it was, I, I just think that Omaha is such a unique place. Um, and it's bigger than everyone thinks. Uh, it's an underrated city. Uh, you think flyover country, but Omaha's great. It's got all kinds of different stuff, and you know, culture and diversity, and just it's a it's a fun it's a fun city. I like well, it. Something they say about Warner Park because Warner Park is not it, it's in a different county than yeah. the than the old one. Right, it's in a different county, but it's you know six and one half dozen. So something they they mention in the movie is that Warner Park kind of looks like it's out of Field of Dreams. It's next to a, a cornfield totally or something. When you first saw that plot of land, were you like, this is the spot or we need to go somewhere else? I talked myself into it. I always wanted to be downtown, but that wasn't going to work out, right? So to stay in Omaha, this was the option, right? So... You kind of had to say like, okay, we'll make this work, and then you start talking your way into this is how we're going to make it work, and you kind of go into problem solving mode. Um, but it was literally in a cornfield. The acres that, however many acres that they, ten acres or whatever that it was, uh, of land that was that was donated, um, was in the middle of a cornfield. When we did the groundbreaking ceremony, and George Brett is there, and um, and every and everything. Uh, Marty took corn from the, you know, from the area and put it in his freezer as a memento uh, because we were literally in a cornfield. They didn't start construction 
until they harvested the corn. We were literally in the middle of a cornfield. Uh, so, uh, but we knew that that's where the city of Omaha was growing. Uh, and it was where the families lived. And as you well know, uh, minor league baseball is based on, you know, families gathering together. Uh, experience first, baseball are- second. Amen, buddy. And, um, so we were going to be, we were going to be, uh, in a, in a good spot, but we were literally in the middle of a cornfield. Well, I'm, I'm really partial to minor league parks that have a special ambiance when it comes to the surrounding area. We, we talked off mic. I'm, I work for Salem. Salem has one of the most incredible outfield views. Um, and yeah, right. Gorgeous like, mountains. Like, yeah. And like, um, I always think about, um, Charlotte with the, the city downtown, but like, um, Salt Lake, Salt Lake, Salt, has Salt Lake looks, I went to Salt Lake one time. It literally looks like a painting. Salt Lake is absolutely on my bucket list. That and uh, I think that that and BYU's park has uh, has the same kind of thing going on. But the the fact that they put the park in Omaha, you know, near a cornfield and has that Field of Dreams vibe is is incredible to me. They have in, incredible shots in the movie. Like if you just if you see that movie for anything, like go for the shots of Warner Park. It's incredible. But the last thing I've got about the movie. Is I mean, it is obviously it's a crash course about 50 years of minor league history, 50 years of baseball in Omaha history. They get a tons of input. Was there was there anything that came across in the documentary that surprised you? Was it a learning experience for you or was it like, ah, I knew most of this? Um, I felt like I had an idea. I think the early stuff uh, I, I could have used the refresher course on and maybe some of the Bill Gorman stuff that was kind of right like in between the old stuff. But, you know, when Mr. Buffett bought the team and I kind of had an idea of what was going on, uh, but it's always, um, you know, I, I didn't maybe realize the financial dire that they were in prior, um, but it felt like I thought that they told the story of Omaha baseball thoroughly. Uh, they had many different perspectives on the, on the dock and, uh, they went through time, right? And uh, it was, I thought it was well crafted as they started in the right spot and ended in the right spot. Does that make sense? Yeah. I've actually got one more thing about the movie. I, got, I have to ask about my favorite character. Can I, you can ask about any, let's go, let's talk. What is your impression of Alan Stein? He seems oh, like a great time. <laughs> so I've got plenty of stories of Alan Stein. So Alan was the president uh, of the Southwest Michigan Devil Rays in Battle Creek, Michigan. So Marty hired me in Battle Creek, Michigan, out of college to go to the middle of nowhere, Battle Creek, Michigan, and Allen was the president there. So when he sold that team and they purchased the team in Omaha, that's how Marty and I got there. We came there together. We were a package deal. And uh, Allen was, he, he's a character for, of all characters, and I uh, i i think he's just, the, he's, he's the greatest. Um, so... I was the on-field MC, right, uh, in Battle Creek, and I was from Boston, and my name's Rob, obviously, and this was the height Survivor. Uh, of Survivor, right, in 2005 or whatever, and uh, I would go out there and be like, hi, my name, you know, hello, everybody, my name's Rob, and, you know, we're about to go do the Dizzy Bat Race, 
And he come over to me and he goes, your name's not Rob. Your name is Boston Rob. We're going to make a character out of you. <laughs> <laughs> so every time I had to go and introduce myself as Boston Rob, Boston Rob, if I didn't do it, he would let me know that I wouldn't do it. But uh, yeah, Alan was awesome. He always treated uh, me and uh, my wife, who then was my uh, girlfriend, exceptionally well. Um, you know, I remember they did a, in the Omaha, they have this thing called, uh, up at top, one of the top of one of the buildings, they have like a club and uh, they roast people. You know, they do one of these roasts and then they like draw a caricature of you and you put it in the barroom floor. And they've got all different kinds of characters. And Alan's one of the characters. And I remember being a part of his roast uh, in probably 2011 ish. Um, and he's just one of these guys, larger than life type character, big, big belly laugh. I always thought he looked like Colonel Sanders. Uh, and he was just, he was always great. He was great. And uh, he used to go, so back in the day in, uh, in Battle Creek, he used to like, so he would live in, he lived in Kentucky, right? In, Le in Lexington. And he's like the mayor of Lexington. Everybody knows that. He owned the legends too, right? He did, yeah. And uh, he would bring this like copper mug. I think, I think it was copper, but it was from like the 1700s. I'm not exaggerating. It was literally from like the 17 or 1800s. And he would bring this copper mug and in the most boss move ever, he would bring this copper mug to bars and be like, hey, can you put my gin and tonic in this? That's the most eccentric rich guy thing I've ever heard of. Like, that's awesome. It was great. And Alan was just a, Alan was a, Alan was a cool guy. Alan was a Within cool guy. like a minute of him showing up on screen, I was like, I need to get beers with that guy. Right. And uh, he'll, he'll have them with you. He's, he's a great guy with a memorable laugh. He's got one of the great laughs. Uh-huh. 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 He's got one of these great memorable left i might need to uh to seek him out please do but um again everyone go see 50 summers if you're a baseball fan if you're a sports documentary fan just absolutely incredible big screen sports is presented by betonline.ag there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner betonline.ag sports are slowly making their way back and betonline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all ufc nascar boxing and soccer matches and if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. You know what you didn't hear in this ad? MLB, because MLB has lost its mind. I don't know when we're going to be able to bet on it, but you can pretty much bet on everything else right now, so that's great. Uh, looking for something other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag, use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. Rob, I want to get into your career. Uh, minor league baseball has long been a passion of mine. It's extremely interesting to me, very important to me. Um, working in professional sports is a a long, winding road with long hours, long home stands. Um, what is what's your background, and how many stops have you made along the way to get to where you are with Pawtucket? Um, good question. I have been doing this since uh, Marty hired me in Battle Creek, right? So that was. Uh, January of 2000. He hired me in December of 04. So this is what, 2020? Um, so what, year 16 or so? And um, so I've been in Battle Creek, Michigan. I started selling group tickets uh, for $16,000 a year. That was my salary. Uh, and I was making like 5% commission on 3% on $3 group tickets. I was broke. Um, and then we moved after two years in Battle That's Creek. That's an integral part of working in minor league baseball. You got you to be broke. 
uh, one of I remember one of my colleagues uh, in Battle Creek broke down hours and how much we got paid, and it was like less than two dollars an hour. Uh, but we all had a good time. When and I interned, I I, pre, I think I worked it out to where I it was actually like I was driving a gas guzzler quite a ways when I worked in Salem, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm paying to work here. Yeah, I think that was probably <laughs> true. Like I have no earthly idea how I made ends meet. I do remember my first year that when I got my taxes back, they were like, you are under the federal poverty level, so you're going to get a giant refund back. And I was like, oh, okay, here we go. But I was definitely under the federal poverty level working 80 hours a week. The only people who make less than you are the players. Right. Um, at the time, I'm not sure that was uh, – but, yes, very close. Um, and then I went to Omaha uh, after, in 2007. Uh, so I was there, uh, Battle Creek for two years, and then I was in Omaha for six and Omaha is really where the career took off, I think, for me, uh, because we, you know, Omaha is a great city, and then we were able to build a new ballpark and rebrand the franchise. So when we built a new ballpark and rebranded the franchise, that was uh, in 2011, and um, we actually won the Pacific Coast League that year, too. Uh, and then in 2013, there was another team trying to build a new ballpark and rebrand a franchise in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, and they are the Yankees AAA affiliate. And as a longtime Red Sox fan living outside of Boston, that was interesting. Uh, but it was a ton of fun and was able to uh, build a new ballpark and rebrand franchise. I was the team president there. And then uh, that team sold and new owners took over. Uh, I stepped down and then I kind of had an in, uh, in-between of uh, did my own consulting gig. I uh, was doing some consulting, and one of my clients was the Pawtucket Red Sox. And then I never left. So I've been in Pawtucket, uh, started at the end of 2015. And um, uh, I oversee all their sales and marketing. And we're in the midst of rebranding a franchise and building a new ballpark. So I'll, um, I'll put three ballparks on my resume, which uh, I think is pretty unique. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. So... Uh, so what is that? Battle Creek, Omaha, Scranton here. So four stops there um, in, in minor league baseball in 16 years. So not too bad. Been at it so long that I'm pretty sure Battle Creek is now a Northwoods League team. Yes, Battle Creek, when we left to, to go to Omaha, that franchise moved to Midland, Michigan. And now they're the Great Lakes Loons, which abandoned the Battle Creek territory and now a Northwoods League team. The Bombers, I think, uh, go there and i still have great battle creek stories i've heard great things about the northwoods leagues and the northwoods league in those games so i don't i don't doubt it um so on a normal episode of this podcast when i'm breaking down a movie i talk about a sports movie coach in terms of do they pass the brick wall test would i run through a brick wall to play for this guy kind of like denzel and remember the titans an inspiring coach rob I told you I was going to gash you up. You passed the brick wall test in 50 summers. I mentioned that. I did. Episode. You and Marty both are brick wall test guys. <laughs> what about your job inspires you to bring the kind of energy and passion that you're bringing? Because it is not, I think there is a, from outside looking in, it's like, oh, he works in sports. That's great. It's a job of long hours. It is not easy. What about the job still inspires you to bring that energy and make interns run through brick walls for you? I think it's a passion. Like, I just am excited about the work, right? Like, I love putting together a 
corporate partnership proposal. I love putting together a ticket proposal. I love, you know, we're doing dining on the diamond. We're making a restaurant on the field here at McCoy Stadium during this whole COVID thing. That stuff is just exciting to me. And naturally, I have a lot of energy. Uh, that's just the way I'm wired. And I think when you combine your passion and you're just naturally an energetic person, those things come out and uh that's how it just kind of works for me it's like i want to go do this and we're going to go do this a billion miles an hour uh because it's just the way i'm wired and then i haven't missed a baseball season since my mom was my t-ball coach and when i was five uh so whether it's playing or working uh you know just kind of that's the passion that i've been given that's the niche and uh, i just have a lot of energy so i i could go play golf you know uh, one morning and then go work a game the next and, you know, put in 25,000 steps, wake up the next day and do it all over again. But uh, uh, that's just kind of the, there's some a natural, just kind of how you're wired, I think. Are you walking the 18 or are you riding the 18? Oh, I'm, the I'm, walk? I'm walking, buddy. I'm walking. Get that, exor get that exercise in. Get that exercise in. I just recently got a push cart, so I'm trying to turn myself into what the, the courses where I live are very hilly, live in the Texas Hill Country, so it's, right. it's a hike. Right, I would rather have a push cart, um, but I, maybe maybe I'll invest. You can get them on like Craigslist for ten bucks. I uh, I'll fully admit I got mine out of my dad's garage. Yeah, perfect. Uh, he, that's I that's found, the push I cart. Discovered that you he need. was not using it and said, "Sir, I'm taking this off." Your I mean, hands. think about it. How much has push cart technology changed in the last twenty five years? Exactly. I mean, there are push carts now that are going for hundreds of dollars. And that's like, ridiculous. Yeah, sure, I'd love to. I'd love to cop one, but we're in a we're in a pandemic. Times right. Are, that's that. That's times ridiculous. Are tight. The only one that I want is like the remote controlled one, where you like have a little thing and it just kind of walks for you. It's like bzzz and just kind of walks around for you. The first push cart that actually makes me better, I'll spend my money on. <laughs> um, right. Just lower my handicap or what? You mentioned uh, the the night, like the, the restaurant, the ballpark night. You know, you're having to bring that energy in a different way right now with the, you know, baseball shutdown. Hopefully this is not a, a long-term thing, but obviously things are going to be different for the rest of this year and possibly next year and beyond what are you, you know, you mentioned what you're doing with the restaurant. What else are you doing in Pawtucket to kind of try to weather the storm? And is there anything you're taking from this period that you actually think is going to apply to the long run of minor league baseball offerings and revenue generation? This uh, dining on the diamond, we have 33 tables that we put on in, in the outfield. They're all socially distanced. And we have a menu where people pre-order and then they show up and they take their order and we deliver them their food and they have a blast, right? They're literally on the field eating, right? Who has a better restaurant ambiance than us? Nobody. Uh, so we're able to do that and take advantage of that. Um, and that's taken all, honestly, most of our time uh, as, you know, kind of in Pawtucket and we're moving into a new ballpark in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is about an hour up the road. Um, so a lot of our time obviously is building that ballpark and getting that going. Uh, but I think this dining on the diamond, it's a pretty simple co concept, right? You put tables on the field, you bring people food and you charge them for it. That can be done between any homestand and any baseball team in America, right? So this, I don't think is too grandiose saying, I mean, it could change revenue in baseball. It could be a non-game day revenue source that we're all dying to be able to 
cr- uh, to create, right? Because we just don't want to want to watch the grass grow uh, between when the team's on the road or in September. We want to be able to have uh, revenue sources coming in and talk about a unique way. Imagine how much someone would pay to eat dinner on the field of Yankee Stadium. I, I'd lo- I'd pay to do a few different things other than eat dinner. In right, the field at Yankee Stadium, <laughs> or say Fenway Park, or <laughs> pick your favorite team. Right, but like to be able to do that, I think is unique, and I think minor, major league, and minor league teams might, uh, you know, might be able to take that on. I think it's, I think it's pretty cool, and we'll be able to take this to Worcester too. I think it's been very hard to find silver linings and everything going on, but the like the creative spirit of minor league baseball has been very much on display in the past few months. Like, um, obviously like shout out to Pensacola for the Airbnb thing. Oh, I think that, that's, I was, I was, you, you give him a shout out. I was so pissed that I could not, I didn't come up with that idea first. I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, damn it. That's genius. <laughs> yeah. I think the idea of me, I think, uh, I, I've have heard from a few players that have mentioned like, Hey, maybe they should leave those beds in there while, you know, we're actually playing <laughs> yeah, uh, right, free, they... free place to stay. But if there's any kind of industry that can come up with cool, unique ways to bring in revenue and get people to the ballpark, it's minor league baseball. So it has been, a, a small bright spot in this pandemic of seeing the the ways and like hopefully kind of like you said I would love for things like this to continue to happen in the future for there to be more reasons than just games to go to my local minor league ballpark um so you know it, and that you it, should see people they're doing you know drive-in fireworks and that uh, all started with like curbside pickup uh you know people are renting fields to go play catch and you know, one of the things I uh, agree with you when you say, you know, minor league baseball professionals are some of the most creative people. And there's some people that are, you know, they're a billion times more creative than I am. Um, but they have a problem solving mentality, a problem solvers mentality, right? Is in minor league baseball, there's always a problem, right? You know, you never have enough people and you never have enough money. But how do you still uh, exist? And with that mentality, I think uh, minor league baseball executives are to, able to weather storms easier because they just say, okay, we're let's solve a problem now. Uh, and it'll be a different way than a traditional person would think who is kind of stuck in a silo, if that makes sense. Well, you did my, you kind of did my transition for me, uh, because the, the next thing I wanted to kick to is, um, something I can attest to working, having some, some, brief experience working in minor league baseball, especially in entry level. It is not an easy job. It is not something that every, that, you know, every intern you see on the field is not going to forge a successful career in minor league baseball. Even I think both of the on field MCs I worked for are no longer working in minor league baseball, doing different things. What kind of qualities does someone who is entering the minor league baseball workforce absolutely have to have in order to have a successful long-term career in the industry? Grind. Uh, people got to be able to know that this is going to be a grind and you can't get too high or too low. Um, and you've just got to have an undying work ethic because during the season, and the season really kind of starts once the calendar flips, you get kind of January, you're getting there, but February, March, March is the busiest month of the year through September. You're really like, you know, 
80 hours, 90 hours a week. And I'm not exaggerating. That's what you just got to do. And you've got to be able to have an undying work ethic. And you've got to be passionate about it. And I suggest if people think they want to get into minor league baseball, do an internship. And you'll instantly learn if this is something for you or this is not for you. You'll either be jazzed by all this stuff or you'll be like, whoa, it's a lot of work. Um, you know, my wife worked in minor league baseball. She was an intern. And she was the, whoa, this is a lot. And I'm like, give me more, right? And not, it's just the way that we're wired and the way that we work. Um, and I think that that work ethic, and even if not for you, don't think I'm saying you don't have a work ethic. But I am saying that um, that type of mentality, like I got to grind through this, man, because, uh, you know, it's, you know, six o'clock, it's seven o'clock, the game's starting. I've already been here for 10 hours uh, and I still got four or five more to go, right? Like you got to be able to grind through it and uh, you got to be okay with it. I'll forever, being a minor league baseball intern will forever be the best job, the best worst job I've ever had. <laughs> I loved it dearly. I, I remember it fondly. There are also days where I wanted to, like, I thought about if I curl up in, like, the, the role of the tarp, will anyone find me napping? And right. I maintain that there is no sorrier set of individuals in the world than hungover interns on a like a Wednesday day game like when you have that random 10 o'clock kids day game where all the kids yep. from the local schools come in and you just tied one on the night before and you're just completely worthless there's just nothing it's, nothing worse it's it's uh, you could tell who had a good time Saturday night when you have a Sunday uh, morning report time at like eight or nine in the morning and like you can see the people dragging or wearing sunglasses uh, 7 a.m. tarp pull. Oh, yeah. Know the feeling. Know the feeling. I had a guy, I, one time in Battle Creek, I was, you know, you, when you first start in your career, you're 22. Um, in Battle Creek, that happened to me, right? We went out way too late after a game. And uh, I get, and we had a morning game, and then we get called in to say, we got to pull the tarp off the field or put it on the field or something like that. It's like 7.30. And uh, I slept on the dugout until we had the report, in the dugout until we had the report at 9 or 10 o'clock. I was going to ask, do you have a, what is your worst tarp pulling story? Like me personally, I was pulling tarp dressed like Rex Kwando from uh, Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> I mean, important, I'm wearing America pants and they get so soaked that they're like sticking to me. I'm, it's horrendous. So there's nightmare a scenario. handful of them. There was one where it was 80s night and I was wearing cut off jean shorts that were way too short for a... Uh, person to wear, uh, and uh, the it started raining and it was a tarp pull, and I had to pull tarp in like shorts that were way too high. Uh, there was also a frozen tarp that we had to pull one time, and we're pulling, and it's so heavy, and the ice when you pull up, and the tarp's like way above you, right, and then ice chunks are like falling down on your on your head. Uh, that wasn't great either. Um, there was other time that we first tarp pull of the year we roll it out and there's a dead raccoon right there that has been oh, dead God. for like you know five months or something like that um that wasn't great either so yeah there's a handful of them oh and then um i think the last thing i've got for you is what is the best on-field game as the on-field mc the balloon and what is bust. the worst on-field game the balloon bust is the greatest on-field game in the history uh i would also say there's a handful of them there's a balloon bust 
uh, where two people run. Uh, you, you, there's a, a guy and a girl. Uh, the guy has the balloon. Uh, the girl has the balloon. Runs, pops the balloon chest to chest. So the girl runs back. Uh, uh, the guy's sitting in a chair. The girl runs back. Uh, pops it in his lap. Then the guy's laying on the ground, and uh, the girl runs back and has to body slam to pop the third balloon. It's a race between two couples, and whoever does that first wins. And uh, the body slam thing never ever gets old. Uh, that's one. We do pop flies for Chick-fil-A sandwiches in Pawtucket, where you shoot one, uh, you uh, throw one ball. If the person catches it, they get a Chick-fil-A sandwich. And we slingshot a second ball. And if that person catches it, their section gets a sling, uh, Chick-fil-A sandwich. And then we put a ball in a t-shirt cannon and we shoot that one into the air. And if they catch that ball, the entire ballpark gets Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches. And that, second and a half that that last ball is up there is the most dramatic second and a half in sports how many times have you seen a catch in that scenario it happens probably a third of the time oh that's actually a lot more than i would expect yeah it happens uh, it happens uh, it happens a good amount uh so that one's always that one's that one's fun that one's really fun there was one time i remember as on field mc uh we were doing the dizzy bat race this is in battle creek and I told you all the good stories happen in Battle Creek. And I was the on-field MC. And how we did, we did the dizzy bat race, right? So the people would start like where the on-deck circles are. And then they would, I would count them down, right? Get them super dizzy. And then they would run to first base. And then they would meet at second base, right? Literally the bases. And this is low A, right? So you can do whatever you want to. And I remember I'm on the first base side. And I'm counting down. And this guy gets super dizzy, maybe had a drink or two. And I uh, count him down, get him all dizzy, yada, yada. Then I tell him to go. He's falling, stumbling, uh, on hopping on one leg to first base, hits first base, and then, like, takes a big hop and then falls down, right? And he's on his shoulder. His pants are kind of halfway down his, his butt, so you see some nice plumber crack. And I am on top of him, basically, Yelling in his face in a microphone saying, get, him, get up, get up, get up, and making fun of him, right? He couldn't get up. He dislocated his shoulder. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm taunting him saying that, you know, you're getting beat by a 12-year-old on the other side or whatever I was making fun of him of. But, yeah, that's because he definitely dislocated his shoulder. Yeah, I saw a dizzy bat. We did it on on like the third baseline in a and they just had to run in a straight line to go get whatever the prize was and the guy uh the guy just full on ran straight into the dugout netting and nearly knocked himself out. Yeah, right. Those are all great. Those are all great. My, Anytime uh, anyone think, borderline getting hurt is a good idea. I think my favorite to participate in was the uh the lottery ball race in Midland where me and two other interns had to put on big lottery ball costumes. And whichever one of us won, like that, a certain section got a certain, I don't like a hot dog or a big gulp from Seven <laughs> yeah. Eleven or something. They're and so great. before the race, it was always like preordained who was going to win. And there was one tryhard intern who always wanted to be the winning lottery ball. And so he, <laughs> he got the winning ball one time, and there was a, you know, and it was me and another guy and the, the tryhard. 
who, um, you know, he, oh, I get, I'm going to be the yellow ball, so, you know, my section wins the hot dog. And right before the race, the other guy looks at me and goes, I'm going to dust him. <laughs> 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 and he did, did a Usain Bolt 100-yard dash to, to win the race, and it was a... It was an all-time moment. You only get it if if uh, if you were an intern. What is the worst on-field game for you? The dizzy bat race. You I think, don't. I, so you I, think the dizzy bat's the worst because I, of that? I, I not that I think if anyone got hurt, but normally it stinks. Um, but I've also seen some really bad ones. I remember we did this one in Battle Creek again. Um, it was like this bowling game with this. It was called the Notkeys Not Knockdown. Notkeys was a bowling place and like we took like those kids bowling pins and had people bowl on the field and it sucked that was a dumb idea yeah that one's not a winner that's not a winner um, that one not every stuck. not everything in in minor league baseball can be a winner but rob sounds like you're doing incredible work for Pawtucket. really appreciated your work in 50 summers and i appreciate you so much for joining me to talk about it tell the folks again where they can follow you and find your podcast yeah uh front office features we're at fo features on twitter and uh, all over linkedin and instagram as well and if you search front office features on uh you know apple podcast spotify uh we're easily found so uh i just want to say thank you very much uh i had a blast i will say this being on a movie podcast is weird because i haven't been to a movie in 12 years probably uh and being interviewed for one weird but well, fun. i was i was gonna say you're welcome back on the pod whenever but now i'm not so sure um, <laughs> i would the, probably requirements look f- is usually watching movies every now and then i would probably ask anybody but me if uh if i wasn't in one i don't know why uh but uh yeah i haven't been to a movie in at least 12 years well i don't think any of us are going to a movie anytime soon no, though. so right. now but, we're all kind of we're welcome to rob's world now but i will say this you are a wonderful host and i enjoyed my time uh, a great deal and one other thing there was also a terrible in-game stuff you have me thinking now we did hillbilly horseshoes where I wore a mullet as the and the guest had to wear a mullet too, uh, and you threw toilet seats on top of plungers. Whew. Yeah, that was fun. I kind of like that actually. That one wasn't bad. It was just like putting the mullet on, like game fifty when it's you know end of July, early August, kind of gross. Yeah, no, I kind of like that. Where was that at? Battle Creek, obviously Battle, Battle Creek. Ba- ba- <laughs> Battle- <course> everything. <laughs> everything is in Battle Creek. <laughs> what happens in Battle Creek absolutely doesn't stay in, uh, no, in Battle no, Creek. No, 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 no. Low A is a lot different than than the Triple A than the Triple A squads. Yeah, a little, a little, a little. You, so you jumped from you jumped from Low A to Triple A, and you haven't looked back then. Right, I've been in Triple A since two thousand. Yeah, right. So since two thousand seven. Well, Rob, even though you don't watch movies, you're always I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to figure out a way to have you back on the podcast. I could talk about minor league baseball and, and that life all day. Um, appreciate you. You know, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, leave a rating and review. Check out all the podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. If you are a baseball fan, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm presented by Baseball America. Had an episode drop this past Tuesday with current Twins organization outfielder Lane Adams. Uh, he, I don't know if you actually ran into – I don't know if he got to AAA in, uh, with the Royals while you were in Omaha. But Did he, you he say went, with the Royals or the Twins? 
He's with the Twins now. He was he was drafted by the Royals. I don't know if he got up to uh, Omaha. While yeah, still the, there, we play the uh, the Twins AAA is in Rochester, and they come. They're in our division. We see him all the time, so have to keep yeah, an he, eye out for this, him. This year was going to be his first year with uh, with the Twins, and now got it. And now we don't know. But it was a great episode from Phenom to the Farm. A fun guy to talk to. Everyone, check that out. Next week on Big Screen Sports. Next Monday, we are covering dodgeball with Tim Miller from the Bulwark. So uh, we'll see you then. Thanks. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.